0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wandering Bear Sports Podcast, the number one sports podcast, actually it's just the number one podcast on planet Earth, proudly brought to you each and every week by Caffeine Gum Australia. It's caffeinated chewing gum that we sell, uh, designed for the US military and batch tested and used by professional athletes all over the world. Uh, Comes in three great flavors in cinnamon, spearmint and arctic mint. And it's a super convenient, fast, and tasty way to get your pre-workout caffeine in. Um, depending on how much you buy, you can get it for as cheap as a dollar a piece. So it's 100 milligrams of caffeine for $1. is not too bad. It tastes really good. And um, I can tell you from personal use that it is an, a really good product that I use all the time. So please check that out. www.caffeinegumaustralia.com uh, All proceeds go to supporting me and keeping this podcast going. Before we get into today's episode, can I please ask a little favor? If you are enjoying the podcast or enjoy any of our podcasts, can you please subscribe to whatever particular channel that you're listening on? Please give it the podcast a review uh, or if you're on YouTube, give it a like. Um, The other thing that is really helpful is is word of mouth. So if you like it, just share it to a friend. Some of them might be interested in what we're doing, the people that we're talking to and who we're learning from and... uh, that that is still the best way to get some growth. So if you could do that, that would be awesome. And the other thing is, please follow. <coughs> pardon me, please follow us on social media um, at Wandering Bear Sports on nearly everything at this point. I've got Duncan Chubb on Twitter or X, um, but Wandering Bear Sports on everything else. All right, today's episode is with Mister Craig Wilson. Craig is the director of rugby at Yale University. He is also the founder of The Contact Coach, a social media company that does rugby analysis um, all over the internet, uh, on various channels, on Instagram, YouTube, and he absolutely kills it. He also used to host a podcast called Rugby Wisdom uh, and is currently in the stages of putting together another podcast uh, called When Coaching Goes Wrong and what you can learn from it. That's the general theme of the podcast. I was lucky enough to do it a week or so ago, uh, and that will be out in January. So if you're interested, I'll make sure that you guys all find out about that. Um, So yeah, that's pretty much it, guys. Without further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Mr. Craig Wilson. Craig, mate, thank you very much for doing this. It's an honor to have you on, and something that I've been excited about all week and all morning, and and I thought there's many different directions that we can take this. You've been all over the world, you're doing all sorts of different things, but I very selfishly want to ask you about podcasting. So I was lucky enough to do your podcast a week or so ago. Yeah. And it was I enjoyed it and I, I liked the theme of it, but I found it quite confronting from a personal point of view. Obviously, you understand why, because you you heard you heard what I, I had to talk about. Um mm-hmm. But really enjoyed it. Firstly, what is the name of the pod? When's it coming out? What's it about? Let's just give people a bit of a feel for the direction you want to take it.
1: Oh, sure. Look, there's a, a bit of context behind it. So I had a a previous podcast called Ropey Wisdom, which um it did pretty well, was great, but other things got involved in my life and I I kind of put podcasting down a little bit. There was still something kind of rattling around going, oh, I've really got to a scratch to itch and I, so i've rebranded the podcast to when coaching goes wrong uh and i think it's quite it's quite a jarring statement and a jarring st- a title but with when coaching goes wrong i i look at it through the lens of it's a celebration it's a learning opportunity it's it's normalizing failure in the sense that every coach i've spoken to young old or somewhere in between has experienced some sort of failure or lessons or something where they're like oh that was a pivotal moment in my coaching and and it's not to put a negative spin on it because what what I often find particularly this time of year um, or after a big major championship you always get a book out from the winning coach and it's usually when they've won what they did when they won how are they winning and we and I I'm the same I consume that but it was what I always find most interesting in those books is actually going back to times when they had failure. Um, and I know failure doesn't often sell, sell books or sell uh, too many things, but I just think it's such an important part on the coaching journey. And from a very selfish point of view, I want to I want to talk to people um, who want to share their lessons, and I, I can use that to kind of fuel my own coaching and my own journey uh, and maybe offer some tidbits of advice as well from from my own. So it's called when coaching goes wrong, but uh, on the side of that, and the lessons learned. So there's the positivity about it. I yeah. want people leaving that podcast feeling excited and energized, and and understanding that okay, things might not be going right, but how do you get better? What other lessons learned? So that's going to be coming out in January of 2024 um i'm compiling a great group of guests as we speak and you are one of them and i i really value that and critically the coaches have to be willing to be vulnerable and i think that's such a powerful word in the modern day particularly with men um how do we be a bit more vulnerable um so people can share lessons and that's not always easy mate it's
0: that's it's a great answer that you just gave and and i You've listened to this podcast before, and it's one of the questions that I always ask because Mm -hmm. I I find when, when I first started, I was so nervous to make mistakes and to look stupid or look like I didn't know what I was doing. But then at a certain point, you realize that everyone's learning. Everyone's at different stages of their own development, and most people are very willing to accept mistakes from you as long as you don't try and cover them up. And that you learn from them quickly and use that learning to improve. Have you have you found the same thing for, through your exploration of it? Like, uh, I, yeah, I'm going to no, ask you. I'm going to ask you about one of your failures that you'd be happy to discuss as well. But have, have you have you noticed that?
1: Yeah, I think just failure can be a really positive tool. It can be. I mean, I think the word. I think we can dress it up now as kind of lessons learned or what did we what did we gain? But I think failure, that's that's talk about it. Like okay, when we when we haven't had the either the success we wanted to do or have or envision envisioned, uh, how do we get to that stage of actually accepting, as you were mentioned, that accepting. you might not be on the right path and maybe it might not be accepting it might not knowing there might be a naivety around it that um no there's a reason you don't know you don't know reflecting yeah exactly exactly and sometimes you need a big brother or a a mentor or, or in my case um a player to tell me Mate, I think you're you're going down the wrong route here, and that that's happily share one of my uh, one of my many failures uh, there. If you want,
0: absolutely, please go go for it. And I I like to frame it in this way: Do you have a uh, one? What is your own relationship with failure? You might have already answered that. Two: Do you have a favorite failure that you can share that you might have learned from that set you up for future success?
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. It's all it's all happened to myself. So failure is I think it's the ability to understand and receive feedback and be recipient. I'd be really reciprocal to that feedback from whoever it might be from, even if you don't like it. If you don't like it and your back is instantly up, and I've been there, I'm sure many coaches have been there. When someone tells you something and you're already answering. You're not listening to them. You're already answering uh, like a rebuttal. No, 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 no. And you're actually not consuming it. So that was a a big one for me. But in terms of my own personal experience, I was a younger coach. Um, It was with a team called Hong Kong Scottish. And I was uh, a young coach. 20, I think it was 25, 24, 25 at the time. And the team have just went from a Division 2 team into Hong Kong into a Division 1 team, um, a Premier team, which is pretty seismic. And I was a player. I was a player and I, I became player coach of this team, which went absolutely fine at, at the division two level because I could get away with everything. I was like, I was like the fountain of knowledge, you know, like I was at the top of a tree. Also I could perform on a game day and that gives you kudos as well, you know? So at the lower level I was coaching. I was like, yeah, everything's going absolutely brilliant. This is the journey I'm on. And then soon as you go into the premiership you're in a whole different world. You're against experienced coaches, experienced teams, and all of a sudden I wasn't the best player by far. And I really, so there you kind of lose your identity as the fountain of knowledge and listen to me quite quite quickly. Um, so what so I was a player coach at 24, 25, which was unbelievably hard, really, really difficult because I didn't feel I was necessarily coaching well and I wasn't playing particularly well. So it's bloody hard to pick yourself in a team when you're not you're not playing particularly well (laughs) and you're coaching that team you know so I used to go home to my uh, girlfriend now wife um, Evelyn like pretty beat up after every session it was it really really like it hurt and it was tough and and with the the step up to the Premiership, there was a bunch of uh, new players who came in, who very, very handy players. Again, good players, but also young, also in and around the 20, 21 to 25 years old. So you think you know everything at that age, but you, you kind of look back and you're like, you probably don't. So you add on not finding your feet as a player, still certainly finding your feet as a coach, And then you've got these young guys coming in who see through it so quickly and are very, very quick to tell you why they think they're right. And my response to that initially was, I'm the head coach, I'm laying down the law, I can't lose their respect, I can't lose their, I need them on side. But the way I dealt with that is kind of going against them, going, no, this is what we're going to do because this is why. And actually, I probably didn't have a great deal of rationale why, apart from I said it. And I probably regurgitated it from somewhere I I saw from there, you know, when you you panic and you go on coaching101.com, you're like, right, what can I do today? And I I remember a particular moment. We were having a um, a conversation uh, around an activity, a defensive activity at a ruck. I can remember this really. And this has been going on for a while. And one of the players just went, this is just, excuse my language, Fucking wrong. And I'm there just standing there, like feeling an inch tall. You know what I mean? Like this was beautiful, absolutely brutal. And I was just standing there. And then so losing the players, losing myself. It was, it was awful. It was awful. It was awful. It was awful. And it, and I didn't do anything about it immediately that time, apart from the standard, no, we're going to do my way. Um, and I, I could not pick him. He was one of our best players. And yeah. if I was just to find my own side in the team, I certainly couldn't go down the Alex Ferguson route and get rid of him, you know. I didn't have a wealth of um, a wealth of kind of players to fall back on. But anyway, so I went back and I sat on it for a couple of days and it hurt, it really hurt, because I felt like I really lost the whole team and everything i built up. My whole identity as a coach is gone or what I thought had gone. Um, And then I reached out, I went sod it. And I reached out to this player and go, let's have a coffee. First of all, to chat about what happened. But secondly, as an opportunity just to kind of chat, because we weren't chatting, we weren't connecting, we weren't talking. And we went for a coffee, we shared each other's views and it turned out his idea was much better than my idea. I, w- I was willing to willing to accept that. But it was in a really non-friction type of environment. It was over a coffee. Very, I can remember where it was today. Um, And I left that meeting feeling so much lighter about everything, what was going on. And all of a sudden, for me reaching out and going, right, essentially help me, like help me, help me understand uh, where we can do this thing better it's a minor thing it's a defensive position in the ruck but it is more the it was more it escalated into something bigger as in oh I'm losing the team losing my identity yeah. so anyway yeah. I left that meeting and and from there it taught me my first real lessons of getting the players input getting the players on side and thrashing things out before you get out on the field because and then how that's manifested into my lesson learned is you can disagree there's ways to disagree and he and he said that in the the player said that as well when we had the meeting he goes look sorry i shouldn't have done that and when i reflect back on that like i shouldn't have called you out in front of it and he was probably having his own frustrations and so lesson learned for me was is the importance and i use this word all the time now collaboration and once you've got collaboration and buy-in you don't always all have to agree but if there's an alignment on the decision and there's rationale why it's been made, you can all move forward. So that was a massive, it was a failure on my part. I, I lost three quarters of a season or half of a season just for being a bit bone idle and not willing to give up. I was I was I put my ego in front of the team and I put my ego in front of my own learning. And I think that was such an important lesson that I've learned, which I use to this day. So did I enjoy that experience? Absolutely not. It was brutal. I was going home to the misses genuinely upset. And I don't really get upset about too much, but like it was hurting me because it, it really I cared about the team. I cared about myself. I cared about the players, but I came along the wrong way. But um, there's an old saying, you know, a problem shared is a problem half, you know, and, um, yeah. and it was an experience I didn't enjoy. But. It was invaluable to where I'm at now and in my mindset as a coach.
0: How long did it take you to pro- to process that? Because there's there's so much gold in that happening to you. So mm-hmm. much that, you know, in, in terms of building connections with players, away from the game, in terms of getting yeah. player buy-in, you know, collaborating with your senior players, let the best ideas win, disagreeing and committing, you yeah. know, all, all that kind of stuff that that's kind of key. How long did it take you to process that and go, oh, this painful thing that happened to me was actually a really good thing?
1: Yeah. Mate, immediately, literally. After that conversation? Yeah, it was a feeling. I just felt, and I've never had that in my life. Like, I felt lighter and equipped after that conversation. I literally, I could have hugged him. Um, Like, I left it going, oh, my God, this was, and it's the first time, and I, I didn't know why. I think the I think the feeling was instant and the reflection obviously takes a little bit of time. Like, why did I feel lighter? Okay. Because of the collaboration came and, and it was, it was harmonious, literally going forward. And, and we, we found a common wavelength. So it was, it was an instant. It wasn't even massively reflecting on it. I felt differently in my, in my whole being. And so it's kind of, it's kind of tough to describe. And, and then as you reflect on that experience, you build more, understanding of why and how and how to collaborate and how to have a vision how and who to bring on board to your to your inner sanctum who are those players you need to help out and I think you learn those nuances just as you gain experience but that initial feedback was a feeling and it was it was gold I I I could have floated into the last session you know and it was it was good. It was really good. And I, I, I'm very thankful for it, but bloody hurt before I, I had to check my ego for a while.
0: It wasn't Locke, was it? No,
1: it was not him. No, it wasn't him. No, no, no. I won't I won't mention the player. Um he was from Scotland, uh, give it that way. Uh, but he was uh look, and we didn't we didn't see the world in a similar way at all in many many different facets of a life he's not someone i would ever hang out with and remember i was the peer of this i was 25 at the time yeah like it so it's not like i had this love experience it was like a 25 year old working with a 23 year old like we, we didn't know we didn't know a lot you know what i mean but i knew enough then that that i know that feeling was good and uh yeah we didn't we didn't see the world uh we see the world very differently but that doesn't mean we can't have a harmonious working relationship, and maybe that's so, another a factor of that as well. You don't always have to be best mates, um, and I I naturally am. I like I like to be liked. I like to please. But how do you manage that that balance as a coach, where you go, well, no, I'm going to have to make this hard decision. Um, and I think how that's
0: do, how do you manage it? How, how do you manage it? Because it's something that I've struggled with a little bit. I, mm-hmm. I'm someone that likes to be liked as well. And it's, it's probably I'm not going to say it's interrupted certain things in my life, but it's certainly a habit that I've improved significantly um, to the point where if I know I'm doing the right thing, I'll just go at it no matter who, you know, dislikes yeah. it. But how did you attack that?
1: So you're only, you're only as strong as a relationship you have with the person and the relationship being, is it respectful, cordial? Is it is it a nice, positive working relationship? How do you do that? Usually it's away from the ground. It's having a coffee, having a beer. If it's an adult club, I'm in college now. Coach college kids, so that would be massively frowned upon, having having a, having a beer while you're talking with one of the guys. But essentially, taking it away from the field, building rapport, building a relationship, understanding where they come from, uh, they understand where you come from. So that, I think that's a big part of it as well is just having that rationale of, of, of that relationship. And then from that, I just mentioned it there, is always having a rationale behind your decision. So if it was going to be a tough decision, say it could be selection or it could be, look, mate, I think you're on the wrong path and you're not going down the right line in terms of whatever it might be. You have to have some rationale behind your decision and you have to be able to back that up. And understanding and getting in front of it might not be an easy conversation, so sometimes it might just be short and sharp. Look, mate, uh, this I'm not going to give you great news here, or just setting it up like let them understand that information first, that it's not going to be great news, as opposed to kind of tiptoeing around the conversation. So, look, mate, uh, you're probably not going to like this, but um, I'm going to go a different route with selection this week, and the reason being. Um, and always kind of say not someone's been doing something better this is where i want you to improve so then you kind of stop that comparison as well saying oh he he's just doing a little bit more on you right now maybe reframe it to look we're looking for you to get a bit of extra repetition in this area or we want more carries uh, because i want to try and avoid that um pitting people against each other too much competition's healthy but how can you talk to the person to get them better So, yeah, for example, in this situation, look, mate, you're not necessarily going to like this, but we're going to go this route today. This is why. Uh, Do you have any questions or any thoughts? And more men often kind of go, no, you're all right. You're all good. If you have provided rationale, but you say, look, I'm always available. Let me know. You're important to me. I care about you. And then move on. I don't think it needs to be a long drawn conversation. So I think they they have been really handy tools for me. And I I don't know where I learned that about just getting in front of the conversation, but it yeah. stuck with me. It was like just just tell them, mate, it's not going to be good news. They understand that, okay? And then it and then they probably stopped listening. That's why it's a short conversation because they're like, "Fuck, get out of here, mate." All right. Well,
0: I I well, had to drop one of the guys that I played with once. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't well, that wasn't that was I was. Panicking all day, but um, he was very good about it. To his to his credit, mate. I want to go back just a little bit to some podcasting questions. Uh, yep. You you said something at the start about you using it yourself as a learning tool. Now, yep. I I originally when I started my podcast is I, I thought, what is an idea that I can do to to reach millions of people and become a multi millionaire and talk to people that I like online. Every single day of the week, which is one of the most delusional things I think I've ever thought (laughs) in my life. Excuse me. It's not till I got Pat Lamb on the podcast, who is someone that I greatly admire. Mm -hmm. And you know how when you first start doing anything, you look for mentors out in the world and you follow their progress. He was one of the first guys for me, for whatever reason. I liked the way he spoke. I liked the way his teams played. And I got him on and I just asked him questions that I wanted to learn literally things I was interested in. How do you do mm-hmm. this? A- and and something clicked in my head. I'm going, oh, this is actually a really good learning tool for me. Yeah, And going forward, every single podcast I do, I speak to people that I want to pick their brain from. I ask questions that I want to learn. And mm-hmm. it's it's picked up a little bit of a following along the way. Have you found something similar in in your own sort of history, doing the podcast in the past and maybe doing this one? What, what kind of things have you learned about having a good podcast or having a good conversation? Is there any tips you can give me?
1: Yeah, look, I think I think you're doing the right thing. Like you had an idol and you went out and got him, right? I, I did a very similar thing. And what what I really learned in this whole process is I had some pretty cool guests as well, like Sir Ian McGeekin, Jace Ryan, like big, big characters in the world of rugby. Hey, I just reached out to him literally cold call as cold as you can get hello I'm Craig um, this is sh- shared a vision shared why I'm doing that vision and then please come on and have a chat and it was exactly the reasons you mentioned there. it was about things I was interested in because even even if me and my mum were the only ones that listened I've gained something All right. And it was never I was never in it for for money or anything outside of that. I was in it to purely learn. Now, the big thing about this, and I'm sure as a lot of people out there as well, it was very much COVID induced. What I mean by that, it was in that world of COVID where not no one really had a lot to do. And I was like, how do I use this time? Didn't know how long it would be. I did not have, no one knew how long COVID would be. We, I remember the first couple of weeks, it was like, everyone stay at home two weeks and we'll all be done. It'll all be done. Two weeks is the COVID's over. That was ridiculous. But it was like, how do I use this experience or this time where I'm idle to get better? And I look back on that COVID time as one of the greatest professional opportunities that I took. I took it um and in terms of podcasting i i want it to be much like you said as conversational as if we're if i'm down a pub chatting with him over a cup of beers or having a cup of coffee chatting to whoever it might be and what golden nugget can i pick up for when coaching does start again i've got something in my ammo so in just terms of in terms of podcasting, that's that's the route I went down. I went down the conversational route. And as you said, I built a bit of a following and other things came from that. Um, and then you just you just kind of snowball from there. And then people start reaching out to you going, Oh, tell me like what you've learned, you know, it's much like much like this. And yeah, just a really positive, it was just seeing an opportunity and and kind of going for it.
0: Is there anything in the conversations that you've had that sticks out to you? I'll give my example, which I've given many yeah. times on this podcast is, is, uh, we talked about it before. I used to be very afraid of failure and I had a conversation with Wayne Smith, again, someone that I connected through Incredible. a friend, which are amazing. Brilliant. And, and I asked him, I said, Wayne, how, how did you try things before you did it in a game? Cause I could imagine with the all blacks, you'd want to try things because you'd mm-hmm. want to know it would work. And he said, no, we didn't look at it that way. We tried a bunch of things. We failed often. But because we tried things, and I can't specifically remember the example, they tried something and he reckons it ended ended up helping them win the World Cup because they were brave enough to try it. That's completely changed the way that I look at the world, just that little part of that conversation. Is there anything that sticks out to you from the conversations that you've had?
1: Yeah, two. And they're both from a similar environment. Um, Jace Ryan, he was the Crusaders uh, forwards coach at the time and... Andy Ellis, who's a former Crusader, uh, World Cup winner with the All Blacks. And the big thing, and it's become a lot more kind of out there recently, particularly with Ronan Ogara and stuff, but around theming, around having an identity, having a vision, having something which is genuine. I think that's the actual actual key to it all. Genuine, um, the, yeah, theme and environment about what, What they did and uh, jace ryan did a brilliant thing around and that's not just environmental it was amazing around the mall the driving mall from a line out and he used the analogy of um
0: it was a white white water 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 rafting
1: and just like making sure you don't fight it you're going with the flow you're, you're just kind of steering down the river and eventually like to the try line but that and i i'm a big visual guy i'm not good with a load of words um audio i have to listen back a few times but if i see a picture and i can envisage it i was like whoa that was really cool so that that kind of ties into the the theme and, and the identity of of bringing the team together on a shared vision and i thought they were really really powerful and and just another thing on the guess is just the accessibility in rugby is amazing it really is i i, I can't believe i cold called these sort of characters, and I, I thought they're never gonna say yes, <laughs> and they did, and it was like holy Moses, like it was just so um, inspiring, really, and and also like these people are out there and they want to share their knowledge, um, and I wanted to be the tool or the the mechanism to share that knowledge.
0: I completely agree with you. One of the the best experiences that I had is is I got to sit down with Dan McKellar. Uh, at the Brumbies HQ and talked through all their lineout stuff. I went, I went down and watched training because I was I'm mates with Dan Palmer and obviously had Laurie and Dan McKellar on the podcast. So, mate, anything you want to know about lineouts? Sat with him for an hour, talked through everything. And and mate, you can't you can't put a price on on those kind of conversations because I'm still doing stuff with the Sydney Uni boys that Dan was showing me a couple of years ago.
1: Brilliant! You know, you know,
0: just amazing. And the other thing that I find, as you said, is, is these guys really want to share what they know. One, mm-hmm. it helps them reinforce their own learnings, and two, they like to pass on to the younger generation, um, yeah. which is probably one of my favorite things about coaching, and something that I try and do as well, and, and I know you do too. Why? Why is why does having a good conversation leave you so energized? Do you get the same feeling? Like I'll, I yeah. I did a podcast with Andrew Blades the other day and you know, I know his brother pretty well, but a bit of a hero of mine. I've, in my opinion one of the best scrum coaches in the world. I was a subject I'm very interested in. Left the conversation absolutely buzzing. Have you yeah. had similar experiences and why do you think it does that?
1: Oh, you you're dead right. I think what it does You don't necessarily you usually come away with those conversations with more questions and answers. And I think I think that's really a really inspiring place to be, if you are willing to to go out and get it. So one of my one of my big things when I was particularly younger is I wasn't very keen to tell people I didn't know the answer. But I but I switched my whole mindset to okay, I don't know the answer but I'm going to be absolutely elite at finding that answer out. And that was a really, really cool thing I I stumbled upon, but I used to this day. And I think what a good conversation does, it it really just stimulates you and it gets you going and you think about it. But often it's also very validating about what you do. You're on the right track, you know? And then I think that's cool. You're like, oh, man, I, I kind of... I I feel like i belong here or like i oh I, i'm i'm getting getting out what i want from it and um, i think it's very validating and it's just there's nothing better than being stimulated i think intellectually because there is your path to growth should you should you want to um crack on with the conversation you've had and and also like i just i'm very sociable i like to be social I'm at my best when I'm social. And I think it ticks those kind of endorphins too. I know that's a biased answer to me, but there's, yeah, I, I love it, mate. I love, love nothing more. Like, I'll, I'll leave this. It's nine o'clock here uh, tonight. We'll get off the pod probably at 10 PM. I won't be sleeping till 1 AM because I'll be thinking about what we've done. And I mean that, you know, like, our, cause it will stimulate me. I'm like, oh shit. Like this is, oh, I'm going to write this down. So yeah, I, I love it, mate.
0: Mate, you, we sound very similar to be honest. And it, uh, again, as you just said, having this conversation with you reinforces to me some of the things that I've been doing because I've had very similar experiences. One thing that I've tried to do is always ask the stupid question that no one wants to ask. And I'm a mm-hmm. huge believer in that because if you ask the stupid question, you will get the answer. So in my first couple of years as a coach, We'd be in a team meeting and I'd look like a coach's meeting and I'd look around and I'd go, No one knows what the fuck's going on here. So I would ask the question. I'll just ask. And everyone would say to me at the end, Oh, thank you for asking. We had no idea what's going on. And someone said to me, someone's, Someone used the analogy of the jester actually being the most important person in the kingdom because the jester, not just because he entertains the king and the court, is because the jester risks making themselves look foolish for the benefit of everyone. Mm. And I, I really love what you said there because, yeah. because I think people are, are afraid to ask questions and people are afraid to look stupid. And for that reason, a lot of coaches get held back in their own development because they don't want to step outside their comfort zone. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Have you have you seen have you seen similar? Because I've yeah. I've been at a few different levels now, sort of from second grade up to the first grade level. And the biggest difference I've seen is the guys who don't quite make the step up are afraid of looking silly. They're mm-hmm. afraid of looking like they don't know what they're talking about and they're not willing to go and find the answers. Whereas even some of the smartest rugby brands I've ever seen, they'll ask questions. They're unafraid of looking stupid. It's 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 yeah. something that I've noticed. Have you seen similar?
1: It's, it's so important. It comes back to the... I just mentioned a bit earlier for me is like be elite at finding the answer. I think that's such a a powerful framework to go with because, like, all right, I can do that. And what what does that look like? And so instead of just throwing it, what does that look like? Okay, obviously we've got the world's best, we've never had more access to information in our life. But then you can dig deeper, you go, okay, well, who are the people who know the answer what I have or want to find? Who are they? Okay, how do I reach in? So similar things like LinkedIn, I think is one of the most powerful tools there is to coaches in the world. Absolutely. Forget Insta- Instagram, TikTok and all that, LinkedIn, because people are there to be quote unquote professional. Like there's just a bit more, there's an extra layer of uh, kind of professionalism I find on LinkedIn. And that's where I find most of uh, my guests. And because there's, is a yeah there's a professionalism around the whole environment so i i use that tool to find find information i haven't got and you, you're dead right it, it, it's so important because no one that has all the answers or even even if you might be looking for a different angle on this uh, on an answer so like this is what i believe but wherever people challenge in that belief system Okay, and then that's another form of asking questions and putting yourself out there and going. I, I regularly say to my assistant staff, like, okay, like, let's challenge, challenge on this. Like, what do you think? What are your thoughts? And often it's like, oh, I like that. I'm going to go with that. Much like that very, very formative experience I had uh, coaching. I was willing to go, tell me what you think. And that took a lot of balls. And I think if if, many, if people can do that, younger and more consistently that actually doesn't have to be younger but just more consistently i think you have a really vibrant but you you lay down your tools you lay down the thought you're like right i'm i'm leveling with you and and there's nothing more inspiring when someone goes help me because most people will be like yes i'll help you it makes people feel good and they want to share and help me yeah it's it's Uh,
0: it's it's okay to not know the answer it's not okay to not try and find out Yeah. That's, that's the attitude I've taken into it. Now tell, tell me, have you had difficulty with imposter syndrome from time to time?
1: Uh, I tell you a really another formative experience. And I'm I'm sure I'm going to be having these for a long time. Um, I was, I don't know what it, I think it's slightly different now in Australia, but um, it was back in 08, 09, 2010, maybe. And I was doing well in my coaching. I was still young. I was in Hong Kong and I got sent over and invited over to the level three at the time, which was the highest coaching award in Australia at the time. I think it might've changed. It's level now. four.
0: It's, it's, if you were level three back then, you're yep. a level four coach now.
1: Right. Yeah. Yep. So I did my Australia level three at 25 years old, which was That's absolutely, unusual. <laughs> yeah, very, very unusual. Like Hong Kong took a punt on me. Like they really did i had to it was a year-long course and was I had it to
0: um to... was it grippy or or was rebellion?
1: um uh rebilliard. rebellion, rebellion. Yeah. um yeah and we, i went over from hong kong literally 25 next thing i know um i'm in a room in the in canberra at the institute of sport and i am with Owen Finnegan and um, all these guys who went on who were probably coaching Sydney U and like all, all the guys at the time, I can't quite remember this Brumby's coaches were there. Is it Capucho or Marco Caputo? Marco Caputo. Yeah.
0: Really good. Really good coach.
1: Yeah. Like, and I'm like, and then as part of the course, we've we've all been on this. It was like, you get, you get an element where you have to coach. Um, I had to coach them all, (laughs) them all. Like I've never been in a mall in my life. Like I was I was a 12 and I played it like so. I had to coach them all at 25 to people like Mellon to Owen Finnegan who were absolutely brutal. Like they would take zero bullshit. Like it was (laughs) and it was the most terrifying half an hour of my life. And I muddled through it. I I went through it. I actually left the course feeling a worse coach (laughs) because I was like Oh my god, I am nowhere near where I thought I was in terms of in terms of that. So that's an element of uh, necessarily an imposter syndrome. But I got through it, and I be what I did. I I befriended these people, and I got to know them, and I asked for help, and they were again they they helped me out. And like uh, I, I'm sure he's he's a very well known character, right? In um, someone yeah. like Iron Finnegan, my word, he doesn't mince his words. He was just like what the fuck's going on here <laughs> I'm like oh I don't know help me and he helped me and it was it was gold um so that was an element of I guess imposter. I think I I found out what imposter syndrome was thinking I do not belong here um and there was elements of my coaching what did allow me to belong there but it also highlighted there is a serious blind spots in my my coaching which was which was uh exposed brutally exposed but like there's the opportunity to get better um and environments going forward i i wouldn't say no i haven't had imposter syndrome because i've been so willing to let people know that i'm not the finished article and i don't go out there and go look i i don't know what i'm talking about i don't know this but it's just the subtle conversations with people and to get them on side um and that usually helps you in any given environment um to to kind of again put people's defensive down and, and help you out, but yeah, that experience was unbelievably tough, but brilliant at the same time. Like, it's I, funny they still do that. that. Oh mate, yeah, like really, really good. And uh, yeah, it was it was hard but enjoyable.
0: I'm, I'm doing it this year, and they go, okay, you've got to analyze an element of the game and, and yep. talk in front of everyone. All right, Chubby, you're doing the Springboks uh, attack. Yeah, like, uh, I've ne- never touched a ball in my entire career. Surely you can give me the Springbok scrum, though. that'll be easy. Mate.
1: Yeah, well, what you could do, their attacking platform is they now take uh scrums from a mark in the 20s. Yeah. There's an attacking platform right there, so you can you can steer it to your uh your expertise. Um, oh man, I would have I would have loved that instead of teaching the driving mall to a world cup winner. I was like, oh, have. Have fun with
0: that, mate. Um, oh, mate, that's the stuff, though. And it's funny. It's funny. The reason uh, we've had very similar experiences. I, I, One of the boys at the Level 4 camp this year actually brought up imposter syndrome as well, uh, and I, I felt it too, and I still have days where I do feel it, particularly maybe not so much since I started at Sydney Uni, but certainly beforehand. You're going, mm, yeah. they've had some good people there. And then I I came across this great quote on the internet, and and it said, um, "The only thing you can do is outwork your self doubt."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I I've kind of stuck to that. You know, make sure you're reviewing hard, make sure you're prepared, outwork your self doubt, and I, I think that's a really good way to look at it. And I think, I think uh, imposter syndrome is probably something that isn't talked about enough, similar to failure in a way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, mate, thank you for sharing that. Um, no,
1: you, you're welcome mate with the it's such it is it comes down to like there's many people will feel that you know and for many different reasons and i mean getting ahead of it and letting people know there'll be people in this room who don't feel that we want to be there and that i think that's part of the facilitators job as well or the coach to be like no, nah, you're here for a reason like there's a, no one's here to fail you no one's here and i think the facilitators could be could be good at setting the scene or coaches in environment like no one here is no one's here is trying to trip you up we're all here to try and get you better and i think there's a like leaders can have a really powerful impact on controlling people who are sitting there thinking fuck i don't well, i'm because then they're not being themselves they're, they're they're potentially potentially coaching or talking or communicating or socializing in a Within themselves. And I yeah. think that that's a, that's a real shame.
0: How important, and this is not one of the questions that I had on the sheet, but how important is being yourself? I, I've seen, let's talk about the podcast we did together, for example. Mm-hmm. Some of the answers that I gave could potentially uh, have people perceive me in a negative light. Let's just say mm-hmm. that. Well, we're going to do what we got to do with it but in coaching you you have to, perception is important no matter what people say you need to be perceived in a good light otherwise one you don't get in the door two you mm-hmm. don't get the buy in from the people but how how important has it been for you learning to be yourself as a coach and put your own personality into it
1: or authenticity will always shine through it, it really does it's bloody hard to keep a mask on for a long time. Short term, you might be able to do it, but eventually people will start to see, see through you. And it's it's hard to keep up an act. You know, it's hard to, I think that comes back to my time back at the the team in Hong Kong. I was it was hard for me to be the dictator mindset for a long time because it wasn't me, it was the mask, you know, it was, it was and it was holding me back. And then the minute I, I showed that vulnerability and authenticity in, in just being myself, which is normally like, I'm normally pretty good at like communicating and talking to people and, and getting out there. Once I did that, I moved on. So authenticity is just so, so valuable. But that also doesn't mean you are who you are. You can change. You can get better at certain areas. You can improve in certain areas. You can where it's a communication style like and no one's looking for a complete u-turn of of who you are and what you are but like slowly showing people that you're there to get better as well and improve i think that sends you on that line of again bringing people along for a ride like our coach or or a teammate is is trying to get better i'm with them as well so be authentic but If you're a bit of a dick, (laughs) like you want to try and get a bit better at that. You could be an authentic dick as well. I just naturally like that. But there's usually reasons or layers behind that. So be yourself, but always try and be the best version of yourself. Um, And that comes from looking for those growth opportunities.
0: Have there been any unexpected benefits from doing your podcast originally?
1: yes it gives what it does it gives you social proof it what i mean by that is people start to go ah craig or contact coach and oh he he kind of knows what he's on about like over a consistent period of time there's a lot of people who turn up and disappear so this guy he's committed to it he's shown it and with the guests you get on like i'm sure some of the guests you've had. I mean, fantastic. What well, you got, Pat Lamb, Laurie Fisher, Wayne Smith, like my word, and that's just a name, just a few of them. Um, incredible. That now gives you an element of social proof, going, ah, oh, Duncan knows what he's on about. And that's why how you get other guests to come on. Oh, he's had these guys, so oh it's kind of like self, it kind of fulfills itself. Yeah, you because know, all you have to do to a new guest is go look who I've had on, and they come. So I think the added benefit is that the social proof, but with that, you have to be consistently good because if you're not good, people will either tune off or turn off or, and as we all know, social media is a cruel, cruel, it can be a cruel space. It can be an amazing space. And I've had 99.9% amazing experiences on social media um, because of, that social proof i've had but also i've consistently shown up and and done a good job because if i didn't do a good job there's someone quickly out there to tell you oh, you're an idiot you don't know what you're doing you're shit you're this you're that um and so that's been a real added positive for me is just just being recognized as someone who who kind of knows what he's talking about
0: i completely agree i've had the very similar experiences and the that definitely wasn't the reason that I that I started it, and it's not the reason that I keep doing it. But um, unearned credibility, let's just say, is probably how I would look at it, uh, is certainly a benefit to doing the podcast. You mentioned consistency there, something that I have not been while doing it. During the footy season, I find it very difficult to sit down and do all the work required. Uh, it's not just having a conversation, as you know. There's a lot of preparation, <laughs> booking timings, editing that goes into it how important is consistency and have there been any struggles that you've had that you can share from doing the podcast is there an element of it that you struggle with
1: well so like a good case in point i i haven't released uh, i've re-released in a podcast i've not done a podcast for a while and the reason being is i pivoted a different way i pivoted towards the analysis videos that i was doing which these things are time consuming, you know, Like as you said, people who are driving in the car now, walking the dog, in the gym, listening to this, this just isn't the conversation. As you say, there's editing, there's marketing, there's there's so much more out there what goes into releasing a podcast. Um, and it's just really, really important that you've got to commit to it. And I, I soon quickly figured out as much as I love the podcast, this ain't a walk in the park, you know, and again, it's that ability to show up. And and it's also the stuff that people don't see what makes you a better coach, like podcasting and social media videos and running my own business, uh, which the contact coach is, is a business. I'm a better coach because of it. I'm more organized. I I understand the need for planning much, much better than I did. Yeah. I understand how powerful social media is for my teams and for how we look to potential players and potential environments. So there's a lot of real positivity comes from it, but it's bloody hard to keep it keep it going. Um, particularly if you're one man band recording it, editing it, marketing it, pushing it out there, booking guests. I'll become an expert on world clock, you know, like you <laughs> just like someone in Georgia to someone in Sydney to someone in Mexico, you know. Um there's a lot again, I look at this as all unintended benefits that I'm now a better coach because I'm way more organized than I ever was because I have to be, because if I'm putting my name to a product, I want it to be bloody good.
0: How did you make the jump into the contact coach business?
1: Great question. Right. I, so the contact coach.
0: Actually, just sorry. <laughs> can I just, can I just interrupt you just for one second, just to give you a, a little bit of time, just one second. I was sitting in the coach's room um, a couple of years ago, and one of the smartest rugby brains I have ever met, and as you said, I've had some very good people on this podcast, the smartest rugby brain I've ever met, comes up to me and goes, have you seen this guy on Instagram? He's the contact coach. And I listened to it, and it was this very familiar voice. I'm like, I know that guy. So No way. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He goes, wow. he, he goes, he's talking about all the stuff that we're doing, and I'm just gonna use the examples that he puts out and send them to our group because he explains it so well. So Mate, yes, I, I just is,
1: w- oh, that's like kind of hairs on the back of your neck stand-up stuff because that's that's so so cool. Like I love it. Um, like the videos were almost a happy, a happy accident, you know. So the contact coach, it came about. I'm in America, so I'm based there and I had a vision I wanted to coach football American footballers how to tackle safely and the environment and just everything around the contact area hence the contact coach now unbelievably bad timing is when COVID hit like literally COVID hit and there was no way I could now do in-person sessions wrestling and breathing on each other and everything like it was just like the biggest no-no in the world so but (laughs) nay i had a vision i was like right contact coach you can't get more um specific to the area i wanted to work in but that immediate avenue was completely taken away so what i do another probably i would say the strongest part of my coaching is the analysis side of it i really i enjoy it i like it um, and I really, really just feel it's something I I just love doing. So with my team, uh, Yale University, I create a lot of videos anyway. I always have for since I've been here uh, over the last eight years. <laughs> Excuse me. So I made these videos real rudimentary on. I literally filmed it or pulled it from YouTube and used iMovie and just Cut it up like that, real basic, basic, basic stuff. Um, but I've sent it to my team. Uh, COVID hit, I was idle, I wasn't doing anything, and I needed a way to keep my mind stimulated on, on rugby. So I created a video, a couple of videos, one about Aaron Smith and his running lines, and another one about Sam Underhill's tackling at the World Cup in 2019, so this was 2020. So a bit of a, a retrospective look back. Um, so I, I created those two videos. Again, really rudimentary. Um, did a bit of a voiceover and I put it out onto YouTube. Just why not? Again, if me and my mom watch, great. But I was a bit scared because social media, like like someone could absolutely buy this immediately. And go, mate, you are awful. Or listen to you. Oh, your accent. or oh, this. You said this. That, all this sort of stuff. What goes through your mind? But I thought, sod it. I'm putting it out there. Mate, and it blew up on YouTube. I think it got like, 40 I was like watching the the views go up I was like holy shit what has gone on here and then it was like almost an immediate pressure I was like oh I better I better get another one out and another one out another one out and I I did and then I learned I learned to get better at the format and I look back at it now and I was like I feel really wooden in my voice and stuff like that but it was essentially another it was a COVID induced I use that word a lot I wasn't coaching I couldn't coach what's the next best thing put it out there and it just gained traction like to this day it just gained gained so much traction across youtube and instagram and and tiktok and um and obviously i refined my process and it, it's got better its software's got better um and it amazes me to this day like i put out a video of ardo surveyor in japan just yesterday or two days ago and it's just it just blows up now. I don't even look. I'm just like I used to look at the views and the likes, like get all excited. Now it's just like a cool byproduct of uh making a video I like to make.
0: What are some key lessons that you've learned about running a social media business?
1: Again, it comes down to being consistent, and what I mean by that is if you do look at my for example, I spent a lot of time now on my Instagram channel, but even my YouTube is. For example, when you put a YouTube video up, I always have a very similar thumbnail or graphic, you know, like so people so people start to build some brand recognition around, around the contact coach. Oh, the contact coaches create a video and it looks like it. I, I want them to be able to glance at it on YouTube and go, Oh, that's probably a contact coach video, because the, it looks the same. And I see other people and other like it it's kind of scattergun. Instagram as well one to two videos a week nothing more than that all 90 seconds long so they're consumable and the and it's just looking at what i feel people will start to learn and i i start to know now just through the, the sheer amount of videos i've done what's going to hit with people what will not what will connect and what will go so i've narrowed down it's no it's like a 30 yeah 90 second video it's short sharp it's to the point um, and it's very consistent. So I don't spook my listeners or viewers about, oh God, where the hell did that come from? So it there's quite a uniformed look behind it and there's a process behind it. So that's been a really good lesson learned from a social media point of view is just being really consistent with my brand and being really consistent with how the videos look, feel and educate, because that's why they're out there they're out there to, to educate. And um, I actually look more now at the like less at the likes and more at the shares. Yeah. Cause if it's shared, that means people are consuming it. Much like you said there, like one of the coaches came in and, and shared it with his team. That is so cool for me because, and I, I've had many conversations. Now I had a conversation with a guy in Russia who his Georgian friend who was playing over there came out and showed him a video. I'm like, man, I'm hitting Sorry, people cool. who don't even have English as their language. Like it's just so powerful, but I really put a premium and value on consistency. Yeah. And I put a premium value on my consistency in coaching, like being consistent um, with, with how I deliver and messaging. So it's been quite a nice kind of crossover there.
0: How long will the 92nd video take you to make? just to give people an idea
1: when it first started oh mate I was up for hours hours and hours and hours the longest part of it is finding the content but I don't care because I'm watching rugby I'm watching initially I'm watching rugby as a coach and I'm not just watching the highlights I'm watching the game anyone can watch highlights and yeah. you don't get a feel for it you don't get the nuance you don't know so mate i'm i'm a rugby coach anyway i'm a full-time coach so i i'm lucky in that sense that i can watch rugby all day long and i can chalk it up to my job which yeah. i absolutely do so the the hardest thing initially was finding the content um and then getting the content and then putting the graphics on oh it used to take me forever mate for like hours like eight six eight hours of my time yeah. i'm like hit it with like trying to get now now if i see a clip i can pull the clip layer on and the rate within an hour max
0: um that's awesome
1: but that i've got that down like i'm i'm not afraid to say i'm good at doing it now um but it took me a while it's like anything it's a trained skill you know and interestingly i was completely self-taught like there was no there was no no one taught me how to use the software. no one taught me how, it was all go out and find this information. Where do you find the clips? who do you find it from? What do you do um when I can't do this? Why isn't this graphic working there? like there was no textbook on what I was doing. I just had to go out and find it. and I think that was really cool as well and i'm I'm proud of myself for doing that.
0: Have there been any other doors that have opened because of the contact coach?
1: Oh, I, I, just just the access to. And it kind of goes back to that social proof. Just the access to other coaches now has just been I don't I don't feel like I have to fight my way too much to to find a lead or find a connection or find a conversation with someone. It's allowed me try to get a bit of a leg up amongst the, the coaching crowd, for want of a better word, to just get access to people and and obviously creating the videos. um. Getting, getting money to create videos from certain media outlets has been, has been a nice perk, particularly when you've got two young daughters and daycare is getting more and more expensive. So it's certainly not life-changing money, but it has really helped the family out. And and that's just been, again, a really positive consequence of of creating the videos. And that's why I pivoted towards the videos and necessarily away from the podcast, but I really want to get that podcast back up and running with a new, with a new, with real thought behind it and which, which I feel this one is going to be, um, as opposed to the other one, which I did think about it, but it was more like, oh, what do I do now sort of thing?
0: Mate, this has been awesome. I feel like I could chew your head off for hours and hours, which I'm not going to do because I'm conscious of your time. Before we go, I have to ask you about your experiences in Hong Kong. That's where yeah. we first met. Obviously, a very, uh, a place you and I both look back on, on fondly and and certainly in my case, and I, I'm sure yours as well, a very formative uh, place for me in my life. What was, it, what was it like for you, Hong Kong? How do you look back on it? Are there any key memories that stand out to you? I'm sure there's quite a few that don't. <laughs>
1: make, it could be a whole new <laughs> podcast, but maybe for a slightly
0: different audience.
1: Um, Hong Kong has given me everything in my professional life that i i have now um i am so indebted to to robbie McRobbie, the outgoing ceo of of hong kong rugby to lee jones who was my manager there to Reece, um, and to to many Stuart saunders of hong kong scottish to to so many people there because it gave me my leg up into coaching and how i got to hong kong is a, a literally my wife girlfriend at the time i was playing in edinburgh and i was going nowhere fast um she was an american studying in in edinburgh and went to do a nine month we've been seeing each other for about 18 months but she went for a nine month co- teaching contract in in hong kong and i knew a good thing when i had it i was like i've got to follow her out there and she It was very much like look i'm going like hope it works out. But if it doesn't, I was like, this is working out. I'm getting out of there. So I cold called again. One thing I was very, very good at, and I still am, I feel, is creating opportunities for myself. um I cold called the Rubber Union and I was like, look, I've just done my level one coaching badge. I want to get, please give me any opportunity. I'll do whatever. Because my mindset was, I could buy a return ticket. If it didn't work out, I just got on the flight back. No harm done. Yeah. Um, I had a good time in Hong Kong. So I went out to Hong Kong. And uh, it was Robbie McRobbie who who set me up, and I I was willing as well to coach everything and anything to do with coaching. So I I coached a Division Four at the time, all Cantonese pretty much, bar two people team, which I loved called Nomads. I coached. I helped set up deaf rugby in Hong Kong, so I was teaching deaf Cantonese children rugby. Like you can imagine, the communication style there was was pretty unique but that was awesome for my coach development i coached special needs rugby in in hong kong um like just using rugby as a tool for these guys to get out and be active and and just enjoy movement really and alongside the performance stuff i coached at junior world trophies and and the premier stuff and I, i ended up playing for hong kong as a player which was cool and so i to answer, I could go on forever about Hong Kong, but it has given me everything. Every leg up um, has come from the Hong Kong Rugby Union. I can't talk any any more highly about the place and the people. It's, in a, there. it's a
0: special place, mate. We should do a podcast and just talk about Lachlan Chubb stories one day.
1: <laughs> oh, mate. mate that would uh, be more adult themed, I think. <laughs> but it, was, uh, it was one incredible, incredible place to live and work in your 20s.
0: And you you're at Yale now. What's your role there? How how have you yeah. found the experience being over in the states? What's Mate, the rug, what's the rugby landscape like as well?
1: Oh, the rugby landscape is all over the place from from LR, MLR to obviously the Eagles and the disappointment of the Eagles not getting the World Cup. But USA is going to host the World Cup. You've got uh, a young professional. Uh, Major League Rugby team uh, league, which is going through teething problems with teams popping up and teams falling off, very much mirroring what Major League Soccer was 20 years ago. And you could argue now it's a pretty, pretty robust um, league. Is Major League Soccer uh, the college landscape? I was actually just in commentary on the national finals there. You've got some seriously, seriously good players and teams coming over here. But in terms of me, there's nothing more enjoyable than working on a college campus in America. It's just, there's just something about it that it's fun, it's rewarding. They take sports seriously here. Um, there's kudos as a sports person, like walking around. Um, as a coach, you're called coach. It took me a while to get used to, like Coach Craig. Or I like Frenchman.
0: that. I like that, by the way.
1: I, I I didn't like it first. It was my Britishness. And then it was like, well, hang on. No, this is, why shouldn't coaching be revered? You know, you've got you've got, um, you're entrusted with X amount of players and you're looking after them in the most formative years. Coach is a sign of respect. Um, and I absolutely love it now. Like, I think it's a really, really endearing term and it comes from a really like heartfelt place. So I love being called coach. Like it's a really cool thing because why shouldn't my, re- my profession be respected? You know, like
0: well, it's bloody hard. Um, it's a hard one.
1: <laughs> it it, is. You, no, it you're dealing with, I've got, I've got 40 men and 20 30 women in the program like and I I I want to make sure that in in my care for one of a better word that they're having a really really impactful experience in my environment um Absolutely. and the environment we create not just mine but in terms of the director so director of Ruby here um I have coached the women's team I um, the current head coach of the men's team and it's just such a special place and look Yale University is just awesome as well you know like it's That's one cool. of the one of the elite institutions worldwide um so i'm very very lucky that i'm genuinely coaching some of the world's brightest young minds like and then like this is where presidents come george bush played on the yale men's rugby team now it depends what side of the political spectrum you fall on but it's pretty cool to have a president who played on your team Absolutely. um a, a history since 1875 as old as any club around the world um, and I, i'm a lucky custodian of it now so you you marry all those kind of facts and or feelings together and i just i can't talk again highly enough of the college landscape in the u.s i just i just love it I and mean, when you add on yale it's a cherry on top
0: my college sports in the u.s is, is something special uh, i've never never been to it never experienced it only just watching from afar and it looks like there's there's a serious culture around all sports there.
1: Yeah, and there's a big, particularly collegiate rugby and sport, there's a big alumni culture here. Now, I, I studied at the University of Stirling and the University of Northampton. I have got zero affiliation to that institution or those institutions. It was very transactional. I got my degree, I left, and that was kind of a UK thing. Here, one of my biggest jobs as directors is in keeping the alumni sometimes at bay, but engaged. You know, they absolutely love the program, like Yale Rugger for Life. And this is across the whole a whole board, not just unique to us. The alumni is such, or or what you would think is in other places, the old boy club or old girl club, Like, but they're so engaged and they have so much school pride, uh, which I find really infectious as well. I love nothing more than talking to an alumni. We just celebrated a hall of fame event. He was the class of 1950. So that means he was in college in 1946. He was a Yale rugby captain. And we just, we just uh, honored him at an event. He's still alive. Like I went down and meet him, met him in New Orleans. And how cool is that? Um, It's amazing. All the way through through to the guys who just graduated last year. Um, It's yeah, it's just such a special place and people care about their schools.
0: Mate, um, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for this. I've got a couple of rapid fire questions that people love. So I've, I've got to ask them and then we'll get you out of here. Do you have any books that you'd recommend?
1: I don't have books because I'm a podcast guy.
0: That's do, you any podcasts? I, do you have any podcasts you'd recommend?
1: I do. I consume podcasts all the time. Big ones I go for. High performance podcast, I think is really, really great. Just listen to one with Stuart Broad, the cricketer, the nemesis for the Aussies for, for a while. Uh, that was really cool. Another one, nothing to do with rugby or coaching, but it's called the Side Hustle Project. Really, really cool. Very inspiring for, for ideas around um, running a small business or just just learning from other small business owners. I think that's really cool. And I'm just starting Modern Wisdom, which is like a really, really big, big podcast out there. So I'm looking forward to start to consume that one. Um, so those are the kind of, well, two I go to, and then I'm looking forward to jumping on to, to Modern Wisdom.
0: Chris Williamson, Modern Wisdom, did a really good one with Jimmy Carr, uh, which very thought-provoking. And he had another one with a bodybuilder. Um, I'll find it, and I'll send it to you. It was really good as well. Do
1: you recommend
0: Yeah, he's he's awesome. I don't listen to all of them because he's he's yeah. very, very, very consistent and, and um, can go quite deep on some okay. subjects that I'm not, you know, Don't suit me, but some of the guests he has on are fantastic. They uh actually go and look at the one with David Goggins. That's a really good one as well.
1: Okay, cool, cool. Do
0: you do you have any documentaries that you enjoy or that you'd recommend?
1: Again, a non-sporting one, deeply, deeply reflective. And some people might laugh about this one, but it was a Robbie Williams documentary. Enjoy it. I don't know if you oh my the the vulnerability that that guy showed to because it could you could argue in terms of a world of PR, that that would affect sales. Like, who was this guy? He was mean, he was bad, he was a drunk, he was a druggie, he was all this. But it was also the reflectiveness of it. And it really it really resonated with me, the power of reflecting and the power of trying to understand someone in the moment. Like, there was some moments in that documentary where he was crying out for someone to help him. Like there was one interview, I remember it was it was at Glastonbury or something about that. And he mentioned like he was down. He was out. He was like, what do you think about this? And then the reporter was like, can you give us something positive to say? And he was like, fuck you And it just shows you how you need to look out for people. And that a guy in full plain sight needed someone's help. And no one was helping him. And I, I just thought that was, it was very, very powerful and thought provoking. And that's the most recent one I've watched.
0: Couldn't agree more, mate. That's a fantastic one. Is there any frequent advice that you give younger coaches?
1: Really look at the environment and what the environment's needs are and align them, align them to what you're about, but also ask people who are currently there or currently who have been there, just to really understand what the environment needs and then work relentlessly to make sure those needs are met. I think that's really, really cool way of of getting getting in a, a place and your coaching kind of going in the right direction. It leads you to collaboration. It leads you to asking questions. So just really dialing down and go, right, what do they need? And how can I help provide that? And it might not be your natural skill set, but but figure that one out.
0: What makes a good coach?
1: Three things for me, or a few things for me. Outside of a tactical and technical, I think you need to be astute in that area. I think first and foremost, like you need to be astute, but simplicity, having a real simple way of communicating, a fairly complex thing and that could be chewing it up into different different sizes whatever it might be simplicity is a big one for me creating a shared vision so again it comes back to that collaboration how do we create that shared vision i learned that from talking with those guys involved with the crusaders excellent at that so simplicity having a clear vision and then just just being really caring to your To your players and caring doesn't mean being all fluffy and nice it could be having a conversation i think we can get more of you and this is how i think we can help you get there or or oh man he needs a hug or what we just spoke about robbie williams man he's struggling why is he struggling what does he need so just being really careful yes simplicity um shared vision and then just really really caring for the people in in your in your care
0: it's funny mate the that question has never had anyone answer. you need to be very good at catch pass or kicking technique. it's all about yeah. it's all about the human side of it.
1: It, it really is like yeah the, that's the, for me that's the given you know like if you're a coach like please please teach people safely stuff, but like it comes down to the human aspect of it.
0: Last question mate. what advice what advice would you give eighteen year old Craig Wilson?
1: I'll give myself a pat on the back first, I really would, uh, for finding opportunities, looking for opportunities, and uh, the advice would be continue to search for those opportunities and where they would be. And also we mentioned at the start, but I just think being elite at finding the answer is just so powerful if you don't really know the answer. And even if you do know the answer, Maybe find a different way of looking at it to challenge that thought process, or find someone who's going to challenge you in that thought process. And I think we all blacks do that really, really well. They challenge each other on their on their environments or what they think they know. So just be really, really elite at finding the answer. But also, oh, like I think you've done a good job so far. But don't don't rest on your laurels. Uh,
0: crack on, boy. Mate, this has been one of the, one of the most genuinely enjoyable podcasts I've ever done. So thank you very much. Please keep up the good work that you're doing. I I am certainly someone that enjoys watching your your content and following your career from afar. And mate, it's uh I've never had a bad moment in your company, mate. So thank you very much, and um, I look forward to talking again soon.